Poker's legendary champions, next generation stars, and tireless ambassadors of the game, sharing their wisdom and guiding your journey to high achievement on the green felt. This is Chasing Poker Greatness with your host, Brad Wilson. Welcome, 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 my friend. This is your host, Brad Wilson, the founder of EnhanceYourEdge.com. And today's guest is a man who has never been shy about following his bliss, Carlos Welch. Carlos is an MTT grinder and poker coach who exemplifies the phrase, dance to the beat of your own drummer. In our conversation, you're going to hear all about Carlos's journey from being a high school math teacher who had quote unquote, all the things you're supposed to have, house, car, job, relationship, you know the deal, to traveling around the country and living a life that's true to himself, which means playing cards and living out of a Prius. Carlos is going to tell you why he decided to become a Jamaican citizen and why playing in Jamaican sit and goes led him to some unexpected dings and expected ROI. You're also going to learn the awesome reasons why living in his van is Carlos's idea of freedom, the most peaceful place Carlos has ever slept in his life. Here's a little hint. You'll never guess it in a thousand years. Why Carlos's first trip to a real live casino blew his mind and much, much more. And one final thing that I just want to say before we jump into the show. When I initially reached out to Carlos about coming on, he responded by quipping, I'd love to come on, but it's more like chasing poker mediocrity, which is of course clever and made me smile, but it brings up an important point. Your idea of greatness in poker and other areas of life are singularly yours, and it's of the utmost importance that you stay true to them. I mention this because number one, you're important to me. I take the success or failure of your journey personally, and I've witnessed myself the suffering and anguish caused by the pursuit of outsized, unrealistic, and sometimes flat-out delusional goals way too often in my poker career to not give my opinion and try to save you from some of that pain if that's at all possible. With that in mind, I hope you continue staying true to yourself, and when you reach your own versions of greatness, my wish is that it brings you an endless supply of happiness and fulfillment. So without any further ado, I bring to you the amazing, incredible, one of a kind, Carlos Welch. Carlos, welcome to the show, my man. Thank you. Happy to be here. How are you doing on this whatever day today, afternoon it is? I'm pretty good. Uh, just woke up, so on uh, the first 15 minutes of my day have gone great. <laughs> I like starting this show by asking about your journey as a poker player. Can you can you give us the uh, the sense of what that journey has looked like for you? How old are you now, by the way? That's a good question that I can never remember. Uh, thirty eight, I think. Close Ye- enough. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm thirty eight. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I guess we'll start by you playing poker recreationally in the early two thousands. Yeah. So I started around 2003, 2004, just found poker basically in a search for 
a get rich quick scheme. So I grew up pretty poor. And at that time there was, I was into like watching late night infomercials to find like some type of product to help me like make money. Like Don, Don LaPree and the. Oh my God, that guy. (laughs) Small ads in his tiny one bedroom apartment. Small ads and, um, no money down, real estate, all that kind of stuff, Carlton Sheets. And then one day I was watching late night, like 1 or 2 a.m., and there was this thing that they called it poker, but it was like, it didn't look like poker to me because they only had two cards. And, you know, I'm used to like, you know, five-card draw. Never heard of Texas Hold'em. And then they said, oh, some somebody just made millions with this and his name is Moneymaker. And I'm thinking like, come on, man, another scheme. Like who writes this crap? So I was like, this can't be real. But I dug into it and I found out it it was actually real. And of course, none of those other things work. But poker uh, has worked for me over the years. Of course, it's not a get rich, get rich quick scheme, but it's, it's, been enough to allow me to quit my job, which is what I really wanted. Didn't really want to be rich. Just didn't want to, you know, um, be poor. <laughs> what 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 job was that that you wanted to get out of? So, man, if I go back to that time, uh, I was actually a computer programmer for the University of Georgia at that time, and. I was early 20s, um, I guess. Yeah. Have to do the math to a lot to remember what what, what age I was at certain times. Um, But that's basically what I was doing when I started with poker. But I was transitioning out of that job because one of the things I got into when I was um, looking for a way to make money was real estate. So I decided to go to school for real estate. And then I started selling real estate right Right between the time, right after I left UGA, and if you know anything about the real estate market, this was 2000, end of 2006, beginning of 2007. So that was pretty much the worst possible time to get into real estate because the bubble was right around the corner. So I ended up doing that for like a year, but I was still playing poker recreationally at this time and not doing well enough to to make a living. So the only other job I could get using my degree, which was in, um, I have a degree in finance and all, and also real estate, but most of the jobs in those industries require you to have experience. And I didn't have experience, but I was, my degree showed that I was good at math and there was always a need for math teachers. And so I took like a short, like preparation program over the summer and became a math teacher. And so did that for five years and was pretty, um, pretty happy for a while. Got to where I wanted to be in life. Finally had a decent job with, um, I was rich compared to everybody else in my family. Uh, I think I had more money than pretty much everybody, anybody I knew back then on a, a first year's teacher salary. But couple years in, wasn't happy with that job. I was also in a relationship at the time. I was buying a house and just everything that you would think 
someone would want. All the, all like, you know, the American dream, like all the, uh, but the, it didn't make me happy. None of that stuff made me happy. And um, there was some um, problems in a relationship. And when we broke up, the relationship kind of fell apart. Everything else did as well. So um, she moved out of the house. I realized I was only buying the house to make her happy. And I was like, I don't want this house. Uh, I don't want this job. What I really want is to pursue poker. So I quit my job, left my house, and um, decided to um, pursue poker. What year was this? That was 2012. Wow. So before before that, um, like I said, I was playing recreationally. And so I had a little bit of money that I won on Poker Stars and Full Tilt right before Black Friday. And unfortunately for me, I had just moved over to Full, full Tilt from Poker Stars. So that's where 95% of my role was. You like going about things the hard way, huh? You get involved in real estate <laughs> at exactly the wrong time and you go for poker at exactly after Black Friday. You know what? That's been a trend in my life. Even even poker in general, like when I like when I when I got started in poker, a lot of like the big names in the game right now were my peers back then. But because they went full steam ahead with it and I was doing it recreationally, you know, after work and, you know, kind of gave it up for a while to um, be a teacher. Like I lost a lot of ground. Like had I taken it more serious when I first found it, um, I would be in a much better position than I am now. So, yeah, same thing with real estate. Had I gotten in real estate five years earlier or poker five years earlier or Bitcoin five years earlier. Like, yeah, that's happened so many times in my life. How much money did you have locked up on full tilt? Because I know that it becomes, this becomes an issue for you, right? Like trying to figure out how to withdraw your money from full tilt. How much money did you have and what steps did you take? It was $2,500. And I will say that was probably more than a hundred percent of my net worth at the time. And so steps that I took, fortunately, because I was a teacher, I had summers off. So the summer of 2011, right after Black Friday happened, I had this genius idea to move to Jamaica and establish a residency there in order to get my full tilt money because they were still paying out people who didn't live in the United States. You just couldn't get money if you were a, a resident of the United States. Wouldn't that be more expensive than $2,500? That seems... Seems like you it would cost you more than twenty five hundred to no, to do man. that. No, that's that that's the that's the beauty, I guess Jamaica or just pretty much any. I won't say any country, but I'll say most countries. The cost of living is way cheaper than the U.S. So I moved to Jamaica, and when I say moved to Jamaica, I rented a place for a month and just got a lease for a month, and that that place cost me 350 bucks. And of course I had to buy the plane ticket to get there, but that was kind of like in and of itself, uh, like a separate expense. Like, you know, like I, even if I wasn't trying to do this whole thing, 
I did a good bit of traveling during the summer anyway, so I kind of consider that a sunk cost. But I'll say the whole thing probably cost me about, let's say, 500 max in order to get the 2,500. And it it worked. I I set up the lease. I mailed it in to um, Blue Tilt. And they said, great, we're going to send your check in three days. No, they said, say your check is going to be in the mail. And then two days later, I got an email that said that they filed for, filed for bankruptcy and the check never came. Uh, so again, couple too late, <laughs> too late. The, the, that theme kind of happens often in my life because a lot of people did get their money uh, in the time between Black Friday up until the point that Full Tilt went under. A lot of people did do it in time and got their money. And apparently I was two days too late. Brutal. But the whole time I was there, I was paying three fifty for the villa I was living in in Jamaica. But I was paying like a thousand dollars for the mortgage on the house that I had back home. And so once I finally got back to the U.S. and decided to, uh, you know, take poker uh, seriously and play full play full time, I was like, I don't want to be paying a mortgage for a house I don't even want when I'm traveling around the world, you know, for poker. So I left the house and moved into an extended stay hotel room, which instead of a thousand dollars a month, I was then paying, I think like it was, I think at the time it might've been under 200 bucks a week. Um, where, but so, where was this extended stay hotel room? Uh, probably not in Atlanta, right? Not, or not in Georgia. It, it wasn't Atlanta. It was in Georgia, but is um, above Atlanta in a town called Kennesaw. Yeah, uh, I live in Atlanta, so I okay. actually met, you mentioned UGA, and that's Athens. But um, yeah, so so you're in Kennesaw, staying at an extended stay place. I, I went to high school in Kennesaw as a an aside that probably nobody cares right. about at all. So you probably <laughs> know exactly where this place is. That's pretty cool. So what were you doing there? How were you playing poker in Kennesaw? So basically I had this little hotel room and I was playing online and the, so what year was this again? I got to go back. This was 2012. Here's the other thing. When Black Friday happened, I thought that poker, that online poker was just done in the U.S. So that's another reason why I kind of like forgotten about it. But um, then I discovered some of these little, um, I guess, lesser sites uh, at the time, there was uh, Lock Poker and uh, then later Carbon Poker. And that's the one that I kind of started back on after uh, we lost access to Stars and Full Tilt. So I was playing on those sites, just really small tournaments. And um, eventually, um, Bavada, uh, well, I guess back then it was probably still Bulldog. I can't remember. But when that site came around, um, I started playing on that one. And I've been playing on that one pretty much ever since. Did you get hurt by lock poker? Because I'm pretty sure lock poker was another one that kind of disappeared in the wind. Yes. Yes. I played on lock poker, but I didn't get hurt in the sense that other people did because um, I didn't have much money on there at the time. And honestly, 
I do remember playing on lock, but I didn't play a lot of volume on it. Most of my volume was on carbon. I think I remember I, I remember reading somewhere somebody was like getting slow play slow paid on lock poker and a lot of people were playing on it. And I remember just thinking, no, I'm not I'm not I'm not dealing with this again. I'm not gonna touch this site. Yeah. Ten ten foot pole. And yeah. then shortly thereafter they kind of went under and I actually didn't play on Bodog or Bovada for probably four years after Black Friday because I just didn't trust anything. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I think that's why I didn't play on them. Like part of it was like lack of trust and part of it was just lack of knowledge. Like I knew about stars and, and party poker uh, from watching like TV commercials. So I didn't know about Carbon until I don't even know how I discovered it, but Somehow I ran across the idea that, hey, online poker is like kind of making a comeback in the U.S., kind of under the table. And that was like all I needed because it came at the perfect time for me. It was right when I was, um, you know, getting fed up with my normal life. Did you uh, did you play any live poker in the Atlanta area or did you travel the tournaments? I didn't start with live poker until later. So. Basically, oh yeah, see, this is good. Given that you know about the Atlanta poker scene, a lot of this stuff is going to make perfect sense to you, if not to the listeners. I knew that eventually I would want to play live, but I'd never done it before. Like a lot of people grew up playing poker with their family, and I did a little bit, well, not necessarily with my family, but I played a little bit of five card draw on like Yahoo Games. Uh, for free but as far as Texas Hold'em like my family didn't know anything about that so because I wanted to play live and I had no idea how to like you know handle chips and like all that kind of stuff I started playing at bar leagues so I started with interstate poker and I'm sure you know what that is Um, so that's where you go to like different bars around town in Atlanta and you basically play poker for free in order to try to win like bar food. (laughs) (laughs) So you like ship a tournament for like 20 bucks worth of nachos or something. (laughs) But I was mainly doing it for, you know, getting used to sitting at a live poker table and like handling chips. And so I I did that. And then that kind of got me prepared to, to try out Cherokee. So Cherokee, the WSOP circuit started in Cherokee in April of 2013. So I went to that first circuit stop, and that was my first time playing live poker for real money. What, what was your feeling getting into that tournament area in Cherokee or cash? I'm not sure which you Tournaments. specialize in. But- well, actually, it was um, sit and goes. Or they call them um, single table satellites. How'd you Uh, feel getting in there with like, you know, this is the, a step up from the bar leagues in a live poker environment. I felt like a boss. And this is why the reason I went to play single table satellites is because the first, was it 10? So I started 2003 and 2004. So first six years of my poker career, I was a sit-and-go reg. And so I had all this experience of playing basically a single-table satellite. 
And I was like way better than the people I was playing against. So I was just like printing money. When I play, when I play single table satellites, I'm sorry, when I play sitting goals on on um poker stars, I started with $16 sitting goals. And I, I was pretty much one of the uh winning bigger winning regs up until I want to say from the 16s up to like the 138s, I think were the buy-ins. And then I dabbled a little bit in the higher ones, which were the 60s. But these 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 satellites that I played live were like 200 bucks. And I'm thinking like, what, you're telling me these people are willing to play for 200 bucks and they're like worse than the $16? <laughs> so like I crushed, I crushed it. So I wasn't intimidated at all because of the skill edge. I didn't really like the live environment so much. I'm kind of an introvert, um, introvert and I don't have a lot in common with most of the people that I play poker with. And so uh, I did enjoy that part. I didn't enjoy that part of it, but I enjoyed taking you, that money. What do you mean by that? You don't have a lot in common with them. I don't drink. I don't like to make lewd comments about female dealers. I don't like to talk politics. <laughs> uh, I don't care about college football. So we're talking about everything that's like the common topics of conversation at a poker table in the South. And here's the other thing. The one thing that I do have in common with them, we can't talk about, which is like poker. <laughs> I don't want to be at the table talking poker strategy with people I'm playing against. And I don't want to talk about the things they talk about. And they don't want to talk about the things I want to talk about, like underground hip hop. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm basically just sitting there listening to my music and taking their money. And I can imagine it being a little bit of a shock going from gearing up to play in this $200 sit and go sitting down and then witnessing the caliber of play you're playing against had to be pretty <laughs> shocking, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I thought it was a joke. I was like, there's no way, no way that these people are just throwing money away like this. And it was like, this is what I looked for all those years late on late night infomercials. I was like looking for ways to make, easy money and i finally found it so like yeah at that moment i fell in love with poker and to go back just a little bit like if if one of my listeners right now is the type of person to make lewd comments about female dealers fucking stop (laughs) like just don't fucking don't fucking do that okay like it's just not it's just not good period don't do that i think um this is i'm Entering this conversation with Carlos straight on the heels of David Lappin, who said if he could wave a magic wand and change one thing about poker, it would be that it it was fifty percent male and fifty percent female. Like, yeah, don't fucking create that environment. Be better than that. Like, I, I, w- I would definitely agree. And and we haven't gotten to this, but I've gotten to the point where now, now I don't enjoy live poker and I make so much more online that I don't feel the need to play live, even though the buy-ins are bigger. I can find big enough buy-ins online to make me happy. And uh, for that reason, because of the type of environments that you have to play in live, they've kind of lost me as a customer. It's understandable. I mean, that exact reason. Yeah. And, and imagine being a woman 
in that atmosphere. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, Way it, worse. Yeah. It, you can't even, you can't even imagine it. And I've said many times I have two little girls and there's no chance in hell I want them sitting at a poker table um, in the current, the current environment that the way that it is constructed. And if you think about the long-term success and growth of poker, like that, that is the next poker boom, right? We have a massive percentage of human beings who are sitting on the sideline because it's not an inclusive environment and the poker world as a whole, the poker community just has to do a better job. Yeah. It's half the population people. Yeah, half, I mean, <laughs> half, half the population. And for those of you worried about, um, you know, your win rate and worried about maintaining, um, a good ROI, like there are a ton of super wealthy women that, that want to sit down and play cards, um, and just blow off steam. So yeah, just, just be cool. I think that's, that's always my motto. Be, be cool. Don't talk shit about people and make it a good environment, a fun environment, um, for everybody to play in. I've, I derailed this a little bit, but I know <laughs> you go from, so you go from living in your extended stay hotel to what's the next move for Carlos? So, so here, here's the big move. So I was, 2015 was like my breakout year in my mind. I played the Bavada major. Oh, you also asked about playing poker around Atlanta. Of course, we don't have any like casinos in Atlanta, but I did a couple of um, podcast appearances on the Thinking Poker podcast with Andrew Brokus and um he and I became friends, and there were a couple of guys that heard me on the podcast who were from Atlanta, and they reached out to him to uh, get in contact with me, and those guys became friends uh, with me, and they invited me to like some like local home games. So I would play a cash in like local home games, and also um, I found out about a like local tournaments at um American Legion American Legion VF, VFW American VF, Legion Yeah yeah so um I started playing those and they were pretty cool as well but so so one night I was at the um cash game in the in, in the the home game and wasn't doing so well kind of ran bad at that so I just got annoyed and left and I was like, if I leave early enough, I still got time to like reg an online tournament because that was my real love. So I rushed back to the room from uh, Woodstock to Kennesaw and um, jumped online and played three tournaments. And I want to say I final tabled all three of them. Something crazy happened where I won like a bunch of money. So I lost money playing cash. And I immediately won it all back plus more online. This was a Saturday night. And so I was feeling pretty good about myself on Sunday. And so I was like, screw it. I'm going to fire the Bavada Major. Now, this is way above my bankroll at the time. I think the buy-in was 162. I think I was probably playing like 20 or $30 tournaments as my average buy-in at the time. <laughs> but somehow I shipped it for $27,000. Oh boy. Which was I want to say at that point 9 times my my net worth. And so that was a big moment for me. I was in the little 
Kennesaw um, Extended Stay when I won that one. That was in Febru- February or no, April. That was in April of 2015. And then that year I sold a bunch of action and played the main event in Vegas for the first time. And then I cashed that as well. So I went from, you know, the beginning of the year having little to nothing to the summer, at the end of the summer, having like, you know, 30 or 40 grand. And I was headed back to the extended stay. And I thought about all I do in this in this um, room all day is play poker, study poker, write about poker. And it's just kind of a passing thought, a passing thought went through my head. I could do this from a van. And I just thought about it and I was like, screw it, let's do it. So I bought a van that year and moved into it and did not go back to the hotel room. What kind of van are we talking about here? I think there are definitely different levels of van. Like, uh, do we got a van down by the river or, (laughs) you know, like (laughs) a newer nice van? It was probably halfway between those two. (laughs) This was a 2005 Chrysler Town and Country. And I bought it in 2015. So it was a 10-year-old van. I think I paid $2,500 or... Yeah, I think I paid twenty five hundred for it, something around there, and I enjoyed it, man. I, I loved it. The first thing I did was so I bought it in August, I believe, and then I drove through Florida and just hit like seven casinos in Florida. I drove down the west coast of Florida, all the way to the bottom, all the way to the east coast, and all the way back up, and I just went to like seven different casinos in seven different cities i was chasing like circuit events to like find more sit and goes <laughs> <laughs> so i played it i played in tampa i played in uh, i'm not gonna remember fort myers but yeah I, I played in pretty much every casino in florida except jacksonville i i, I was re- by the time i got back up to jacksonville i was sick of florida and i read i was ready to get back at, to atlanta so i went past it where where do you stay at night living in a van? Like, what does that look like? Um, so at the time, I would be like in a Walmart parking lot or like a, what do you call it? Um, parking ride. Then the ones they have on the side of the highway, I think, are called rest stops. And But the, the you know, one of the most peaceful places I ever slept in my life was behind an auto zone. In like West Palm Beach. <laughs> why was it? Why was it super peaceful? Because there were like there was no lights. And like usually when I'm in like a Walmart, like you know they have like the big, you know, lights in their parking lot, you know, all night long. But behind this auto zone, there were no lights and nobody. It, it didn't seem unusual for like cars to be parked there overnight because people like leave their broken down cars at auto zone or something. How do you protect yourself? Like, it, it feels super risky leaving the casino with money and then jumping in your van and spending the night in your van. Like, if any, if word gets out, it feels like you're a pretty low-hanging fruit target for anybody that wants to rob somebody. 
Now, this was like day to day. So day to day, there was no leave in a casino. When I did play at a casino, I would park in the uh, casino parking lot. And that provided a little bit of protection, given that there was always people coming and going. There was lights everywhere, security, cameras and everything. And the other thing that's pretty cool about Cherokee, which I think is the only place that does this, in Cherokee, you can put your money on your total rewards card. And so like, I would go in, I'll take my card in. You like, at the time, the sit and goes were run on these like electronic tables. And so everybody would sit around this big, it's like you're playing in person, but you're sitting around this big electronic table and you put your card into the table and there your money was there. So whenever I won, the money would go in the cart. So I didn't have cash on me when I was out in the van. So at no point, so I've been doing this off and on for five years now, and I never had any issues with safety. And I've done it in probably 10 different states and some really sketchy places. And then, and now I'm a little bit more savvy about where I park. But yeah, in the beginning, it was like, you know, some some pretty shady spots. Um, but I'm kind of a, um, I'm not an easy target. I'll put it that way. And I'm not, <laughs> and, and, I, and I'm not, a, I, I don't look like I have money on me. <laughs> That's another thing. <laughs> so you got image, image going and the fact that you, you can take care of yourself. I think if something went sideways. Yeah, the way I dress I think I'll probably look more like a robber than a Robbie. <laughs> so they, they probably pass up with me very often. <laughs> so you're traveling around all these states, living out of your van. Is that what life looks like today? Similar, but not exactly the same. So I did the van thing from 2015 up until the end of last year. So I spent most of my time on the West Coast, so I drove my van home to Atlanta for the holidays, and then I sold my van and bought a Prius, and so now I'm living in the Prius, and the purpose of the Prius is that I can leave it running all night um, so that I can use heat and air conditioning without burning gas because it uses the electric motor overnight. It's a lot less space, and I'm not a small dude, uh, so that sucks. But it's a lot more comfortable than I thought it would be. Um, there's a lot of great YouTube videos. They kind of, like, show you how to do it if that's something you're interested in. And that's what life looks at, looks like for me now. You must sleep pretty well. You must have no issues sleeping, right? I would think, like, for me, I have various in- insomnia issues as far as getting to bed at night. But I can't, like... It must be easy for you in a van because I can't imagine it being ultra comfortable. And then a Prius, I can't even imagine at all. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I have no problem sleeping. Like some people would say like, oh, aren't you like freaked out by the noise of just like the city? But I'm the exact opposite. Like I need noise around to go to sleep. If I try to sleep in dead silence, that would be like... Like complete silence is like the loudest noise in the universe to me. <laughs> but like, you know, I'll sleep next to a train 
the you know train going by like that's almost like white noise that helps me sleep yeah i need the white noise for sure like the ambient ambient noise in the background again i'm finicky when it comes to sleep i'm <laughs> restless sleeper who doesn't sleep very well so i need the white noise but it just uh you know how do you what about like physical exercise stuff like that how do you handle maintaining your focus staying in good shape living living in a van yeah i don't <laughs> that's the short answer the short answer is i'm not in good shape um but if i wanted to i could be and i actually that's not true i could i do want to and i should be but i'm addicted to sweets so that's part of the problem but when i was in good shape um i spent a lot of time at planet fitness that's also where i go to take showers so, you know, I got access to gym equipment and um, well, I can park and walk <laughs> anytime I want to. I actually used to do a decent amount of walking when I was in the Atlanta area. I, I was in really good shape until I met those guys who invited me to the home games in Atlanta. Because the home games in Atlanta, they have pretty good food uh, for quote unquote free that you're paying for with the rake, but it feels free when you're a winning player. So I'm eating like steaks every night and unlimited M&Ms and chips and all this crap. So I quickly gained a lot of the weight. Like I've always been big, but I lost a bunch of weight in my early 20s and I just gained it all back plus more once I started like eating free food at poker games. That seems so now that I think about it, it seems even scarier playing in home games. I guess were you living in your car at that point? Because like there are some people, you know, some folks that I've interacted with in the home games that one hundred percent I don't want them to know that I live yeah. in my car. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. I don't think any of them knew it except for the guy who invited me to the game and he's a good friend. But Maybe there were one or two of the others that knew it, but these were like, these were not scary individuals. Yeah. Oh, so like when I played in Atlanta or not Atlanta in Chattanooga, there was mm-hmm. this one home game that was like a poker room. It turned into a poker room over time. Yeah. There was like 10 to 12 tables running and I was playing the big pot limit Omaha game and the dummies there would cash me out just in front of everyone. So I see yeah. like, I see like the one, two game running and this dude's like cashing out 6K and just like fanning it across the table. <laughs> and I'm like, I got to walk in the dark to my car because it's at like a, like a golf um, clubhouse. I've got to yeah. walk like super far in my car and I would get so paranoid because I'm like watching <laughs> all these guys that are sitting with like 100 bucks in front of them watching me get handed 6K. I would like pay the dealers to bring my car around and constantly check my rear view mirror. Like I was extremely paranoid about getting robbed. Didn't help that one of my friends um, who is a bookie would just sit there while we're waiting for the cash game to start. And he'd be like, you know, there's probably 100K in here. Like if I wanted to rob this place, come in with a van what? and a shotgun and fire <laughs> fire a shell in the in the ceiling. I'm like, dude, you are not helping my paranoia <laughs> right now. Like, <laughs> yeah, fortunately, fortunately, I never play in those type of environments. Um, it was usually like a group of friends that it was like in some country club uh, location where like all these people have like 
nice lives and like they're not really interested in that but yeah. what's, fu- what's funny is this when i was in jamaica i actually played a little live poker in jamaica now that was really weird to like play poker as a tourist in jamaica with the locals and to like win money and then have them come up to you and say i don't have money to get home now can you like can I borrow $5 for a ride? Where in your mind, you're thinking like, like I translated that as, let me borrow five before I take it all. <laughs> yeah. And, and and these are people where, this is a place where the minimum wage is like a dollar an hour. And so uh, actually, uh, this is a pretty funny story. So I'm playing live poker in Jamaica And it's like a little, it's a sit and go, basically. They call it a tournament, but it was a sit and go. And um, I got heads up with a Jamaican police officer. So we're playing. And and again, it's on one of the little electronic tables. So there's really no cash on the table. It's all electronic. So we play, I end up winning. So I get first, he gets second. And then they bring out the money to you in like little brown paper bags. So they gave me this little brown paper bag. And for the exact reasons you're saying, I just put it in my pocket quickly. I didn't even like, you know, I didn't want to like open the bag and count the money in front of everybody. So I waited till I got like in a corner by myself and I did that. And I counted the money and I had about half of what I was supposed to have. And when I looked at the envelope, I saw that it had second place written on it in the amount of money that I was supposed to get. And so I realized what happened. They gave me the wrong envelope. So I went up to the police officer and I was like, Hey, did you, um, did you get the right envelope for the money? And, um, he was like, uh, yeah. And I was like, I was like, can I see your envelope? Because, um, mine said second place on it. And he was like, Oh, I threw it away already. And I just started laughing. I was like, you got me. You got me. What what am I going to do about it? Yeah. So so I got robbed by a Jamaican police officer. Probably the casino themselves, too, I would think. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if they were in on it. Yeah. What are you going to do? Like, you you have literally no leverage in that situation. (laughs) Not not only did the police officer rob me, I I also had to, like, you know, hand out maybe like two or three five dollar bills to like other people <laughs> who like lost their life role oh my <laughs> and god yeah and so uh i want to say the buy-in for that tournament was like 70 bucks and first was like 240 no it can't be right buy-in must have been like 30 or 40 bucks because first was 240 and second was 120 so i got 120 dollars and um I, the villa that I was staying in was in like very short walking distance to the casino. But yeah, you definitely don't want to be walking in Jamaica at night with a hundred bucks on you when people um, know it. Yeah. Yeah. I've heard, I've heard stories uh, about folks visiting Jamaica or like sandals, Jamaica, and they go to the beach and there are people like guarding the beach with like AKs can be a scary, scary thing in the wrong place. Yeah, yeah. So I, I've spent a lot of time there and I've never had an issue, but it definitely it looks scary. And I think it's gotten a lot worse now than it was when I was when I considered myself a Jamaican. 
back in um, 2011. When you paid the money to get the no, money. 13, 2013. Yeah. When you paid the money to get your balance back and ended up being a, a day late, literally a day late. Yeah. So, yeah, that check never came. Um, but I did get it back from um, a friend uh, several years later because if you remember the story, Poker Stars ended up buying Full Tilt out. And so they basically put the money in my Poker Stars account. Yeah, that was part of the Poker Stars trying to get on the good get in the good graces of the DOJ. Yeah. That whole see, that whole deal. And see what was cool about it, because I went to Jamaica and changed my residency in Poker Stars as a Jamaican, they put my full tilt balance in my Poker Stars account. Whereas had I not done that, they would have sent that money to the DOJ and I would have had to get it directly from the U.S. government. But it was a lot easier to just get it out of my PokerStars account. I transferred it to a friend who was who's not from the U.S., who was playing on PokerStars, and then he just, like, gave me the money off um, through PayPal or something. That's nice. That's yeah. nice. Yo, Coach Brad here, and I have a very simple question. How would you like an opportunity to join Nick Howard's crew at Poker Detox? This is a chance for you to have world-class coaching and hop on the fast track to destroying online cash and MTTs without risking your own money or enduring years of pain trying to figure things out on your own. I recently had the good fortune to go behind the scenes with Nick and his detox crew to experience for myself their training methods and quite frankly, I was blown away and have never seen anything like it. The Poker Detox system is both powerful enough to supercharge your game and simple enough to implement hand after hand. In the last year, they have verifiably fast-tracked multiple players from 50 no limit all the way up through 1k no limit, and on average, their players are winning 8 big blinds per 100 on non-app sites across all stakes, with the majority of volume being played at 200 through 500 no limit. However, this opportunity is not for wannabes or lazy bums. This is for folks who are obsessed and want to do the work so that they can reach their full potential as poker players. To qualify, you must be able to provide a break-even or winning graph in cash games or MTTs over the last three to six months and be willing to play full-time. To take the next step, all you have to do is send me that graph via email, brad at enhanceyouredge.com, or send a direct message to at Enhance Your Edge on Twitter, and I'll personally guide you through the next step in the process. Once again, that email is brad at enhanceyouredge.com, and the Twitter handle is at Enhance Your Edge. Thank you for your time. I'd love to hear from you soon. And now, back to the show. Well, what do you think is the most unexpected thing that's come from your poker journey? The most unexpected thing I would say, I'll say two. One is the friendships I've built with other players I've met online. Like I'm friends with, like I looked through the list of um, your past guests and a lot of those people are good friends of mine. People that I would have never met had it not been for poker. Um, Daro Kearney is a good friend of mine and like, 
uh, I'm probably never going to go to Ireland. He's probably never going to come to Griffin, which is where I'm originally from. You know where that is, I think. But uh, I tell everybody else Atlanta. And so I wouldn't never would have met him. Um, Andrew Brokers, Thinking Poker Podcast, is a really good friend of mine. Never would have met him. So all these people that will be lifelong friends, and that's just two. There's like tons of them. Uh, all these people will be lifelong friends. I didn't expect that when I was, you know, signing up to play a card game and the freedom that I have now is something that I didn't expect in terms of freedom and like the, the love for simplicity. Like I had what you're supposed to want before I got into poker, had a middle-class job, had a house, the girl. Only thing I didn't have was like two kids and a dog, but I didn't want those anyway. But if it wasn't for my experiences in poker, I would have been stuck in that life. And I guess happy out of a uh, ignorance. Ignorance is bliss. But because I kind of got away from that life and just started traveling and just seeing how little I can live on. And I found real happy. I found real happiness once I started chasing simplicity. So now my love for simplicity and basically I'm a, a, a kind of a, I'm, I'm striving towards being more of a minimalist. And if you'd asked me that before I got into poker, I would never thought I would be that type of person. And I didn't think that poker would lead me in that direction. Do you think this is going to be, this is going to be your journey? Um, yes. Forever? Definitely, definitely. I'm I'm always going the opposite direction as a, than other people. It's like people are like moving from one house to a bigger house. I'm moving from a van to a Prius. <laughs> <laughs> so, so like, yeah, like I'm, I'm so happy with very little. Like I'll never buy a house again because people would say, why don't you get an RV? I was like, I don't really need an RV. And I don't really want an RV. I want to be outside of my physical body. I like to be small and flexible. <laughs> my physical body is not small and flexible, but I'd rather be in a Prius that how, gets. 50- how big are you? You you've mentioned mentioned it a few times for the for the viewers at home to get a mental image. I'm five eleven, probably sitting at about two seventy right now. So think about squeezing all that in a, into a Prius, um, <laughs> <laughs> along with all my other crap, because I do have other things in there as well. But the thing is, I found through this game that the less I have, the happier I am. And so that's why I kind of made this joke that your show is called Chasing Poker Greatness. I feel like I'm ch- chasing poker mediocrity. Because it's like, I don't want to be like the best poker player in the world. Because I kind of got into poker because I didn't want to work super hard. And the type of work, the amount of work that it would take to do that doesn't appeal to me at all. And if I were able to achieve that and I made millions, that wouldn't make me happy. Like millions of dollars would not make me happy. What makes me happy is freedom and simplicity. And I don't need to be great at poker to get that. 
mediocre is still better than 90% of the players out there. What's amazing to me is that greatness is an abstract term, first of all. It can mean many different things to many different people. And thinking along the lines of like Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey, you're following your bliss. And you following your bliss is your version of greatness, right? Like this is, this is what your heart tells you to go after and what your heart is telling you is the right thing. So I think in that way, this pursuit of the things that make you happy and give you fulfillment is greater than even the pursuit of making millions of dollars and being famous as a poker player or whatever it is that inevitably leads people towards lack of fulfillment or unhappiness. Um, there's a lot to be said for knowing yourself and following your own bliss. Yes. I'll, I'll say I've met in my time a, a lot of millionaires and one near billionaire that have expressed jealousy of my lifestyle. And that's something that I would have not expected. You would think those people would be happy, but I think a lot of people kind of do what society expects of them as opposed to what they really want to do. And I try to live the opposite of that. Yeah, it's a human condition. Uh, It always struck me as funny when I was living at Commerce playing poker every single day that I would be playing with businessmen who all they wanted to do was play as much poker as possible and poker players who all they wanted to do was stop playing poker so they could get involved in business. It's like two people who are, (laughs) they're both trying to get to where the other person is and not realizing that, you know, they need to find their own version of fulfillment and that it's a, it's a self issue and not what they're doing is as an issue. And here's the saddest thing about that story to me, the poker player that wants all the money that the business guy has, usually what happens is that if he's lucky enough to get there, he'll realize that that's not what's going to make him happy. And then he'll realize that maybe he's like wasting his life chasing that. So that's sad. But what's also sad is that it's super easy for the billionaire to go back or the, or the millionaire to go back to just being like, you know, a guy that grinds poker all day. It's like, it's not hard to get rid of a, a million dollar business if you wanted to, but they feel like they can't. They have so many people depending on them. And what does that, you know, how would that make them look? And so like both of these people are just like stuck in unhappiness that they can fairly easy, easily, um, fix if it wasn't for societal pressures yeah it's the golden the golden cage and it it strikes me as odd that you know a multimillionaire is jealous of your lifestyle has every tool in the world to adopt your lifestyle but still just can't make themselves do it right it's like it's a weird scenario where like, yeah, of course, like you can sell all your stuff and you can live in a Prius, right? Like this is not, this is not, this is not something that's beyond your capability. Um, They just don't do it. They just don't do it, man. And I just don't see the point in living in a way that doesn't make you happy. Like that's, I I basically do whatever I want. I almost feel like a millionaire in that I basically do whatever I want to do every day. Yeah, know yourself. You know, I think that's that's kind of the beauty 
of the abstraction of chasing poker greatness is like you need to know yourself and understand what greatness means to you, what a fulfilling life means to you, and then chase that because it's so sad to me for somebody to be chasing something for 20 years, 25 years, only to catch it and realize that it wasn't what they needed or wasn't what would make them happy at the end of the day. So like really understanding yourself, I think is, is point number one um, in regards to your poker journey and just your life, life journey period. I have some, uh, some lightning round questions here for you. Uh, When you think about joy in your career playing cards, what's the first memory that comes to mind? When I think about joy, I would say winning that last hand in the Bavadam Major that I won in 2015. It's the most joy I ever felt in my life. And what's weird about it is I won the hand, I stood up, and I went to the the mirror in the bathroom that was like two steps away because this is a <laughs> an efficiency hotel room. And I just said to myself, you did it. You did it. You did. It. I just said that over time, um, over and over. And I'm like laughing and crying at the same time. Like that to me is joy. Like that's something that I do miss. And I wish I can have more often is an excuse to like cry happy tears. If I can do that every day, that would be pretty sick. Yeah, that's that's a, an awesome, awesome story. And unfortunately, we have to go from this crying happy tears to the opposite question. Of, okay. uh, when you think of pain in your poker career, what's the first memory that comes to mind? I would say the one that strikes me the most. So, So I played the main event in 2015, cashed it. First time, like, you know, dust the shirt, the, the, the dust, off, dust off my shoulder. It was easy. And then I go to Cherokee and I play the Cherokee main. And I make it to day two. And I was on approaching the bubble and had a plan to get into the money. And because I played the big main and won it, I kind of felt like this one was like, you know, like, I've been there, done that. This was not that serious. If I don't cash this, fine, you know, but I'm going to, like, you know, play for the win. And I had my perfect plan set up, and then the table broke. Because, you know, like, the night before, when you make when you make a day two, they tell you all the people you're playing against. So I researched my opponents. I knew exactly how to take – and everything I envisioned was coming to fruition. And the table broke, and all of a sudden I'm sitting with people I don't know – with a short stack and the blinds are going up and I need information. I don't have any information and I just like panic and like, like shove like any two cards over an open where a guy is supposed to be wide, but, and he looked like the type that might be wide, but I didn't have solid information. So like playing blind and not feeling like I have a strong game plan and, and making a mistake, a, a massive mistake in a spot like that for it was, it took me about a year to get over that hand wow. because it, it was like, I know what caused it. It was like the lack of, I wasn't, I lost all the preparation I had done and I panicked 
So to answer your question, when I think of pain in poker, it's not bad beats. It's mistakes. When I make mistakes because I'm not prepared, that hurts. And that that is a that's a greatness bomb. That leads me to the next question. How do you what is your process for regularly improving your game? What does that look like? Because I can tell straight away, you know, you you research all the guys, you're doing your homework, you're trying to find an edge, um, which is a player after my own heart. What do you do to improve on a daily basis? So what I do is instead of trying to learn how to do mixed strategies and and approximate a, a GTO solution, which I know is impossible for everybody, especially for me, I just go the opposite direction. I just figure out how to maximally exploit bad players and just don't play with good players. And so I've been fortunate enough to find lots and lots and lots of bad players on Bravado. (laughs) (laughs) And so the majority of my day is, and I say fortunate because that's the only site that I've ever played on that releases all the whole cards 24 hours after the tournament is over. So basically what I do every morning is I get up and I review every tournament I played the day before with all the whole cards and just figure out how to maximally exploit the mistakes my opponents make. So if you throw me at a at a uh, super high roller table, like everybody else, I'm going to get destroyed, but I'm probably going to get destroyed a lot more than the people who are are studying GTO. But if you put that type of player at a table with these Bovada regs, I'm going to outperform them because I know everything that makes these people tick. And and so I increase my quote-unquote uh, skill by taking advantage of their mistakes as opposed to improving in the way that most people think about improving as a poker player. And the genius in this approach to strategy is that 80% of your profit in poker comes from 20% of the players you play against. And you know it's the Pareto principle, 20% – of those players are going to be the, rec- the you know the whales, the recreationals yep. that you come across. So it makes so much more sense to study the twenty percent that eighty percent of your profit comes from than studying the eighty percent of uh, you know the top eighty percent where only twenty percent of your money comes from. That to me is a really really intelligent approach to maximizing your hourly rate and your win rate playing cards. If you could gift all poker players a book to read, what would it be and why? Okay, gift all poker players a book to read. I will say one, and it's funny that you mentioned the um, Pareto Principle because I learned about that in a book called The 4-Hour Work Week by Tim Ferriss. That was a book that kind of like led me down the road of chasing simplicity. And... um like we talked about, like living your life the way you want to, as opposed to what society says. Stoicism, I, right? Yeah, stoicism. Like, I think that is something that it pairs really well with the freedom and access to capital that a poker player uh, lifestyle provides. 
it is a great book. And I love all of Tim. I love Tim Ferriss's podcast. And my next question is actually a Tim Ferriss question. So if you could erect a billboard, every poker player had to drive past on their way to the casino, what would it say? (laughs) Uh, Every poker player had to drive past on the way to the casino. I guess I would say turn around, go home, play online. (laughs) (laughs) That's what I would say. (laughs) When when my graphic designer comes up up with that billboard, there goes all of my live (laughs) casino sponsorship opportunities straight away into the dust. Um, (laughs) Yes. uh, What's your current big goal? as related to poker current big goal so i have been doing a whole lot of coaching lately and i want to increase my um do do a better job of building my coaching clientele because that is i enjoy that a lot more than playing these days And I think part of it comes from my experience as a teacher. Like I kind of miss that part of the teaching profession is like, you know, seeing that light bulb go off for so many people. And so, yeah, my, my big goal over the next five years is to become a more established poker coach and become a better poker coach. I love that. There's a lot of fulfillment in teaching and helping people along their poker journey that I can attest to as a coach myself who has coached these guys. You get invested in their future. You get invested in them personally. They become your friends. You root for them. And like it's so fulfilling when they find success, when the light bulb goes off in their head and they improve their game and you can you see that, you know, that's the fruits of your labor. And it's just a super, super fulfilling thing to see. Yes. Two more questions and we'll get you out of here. If you had a magic wand and could change one thing about poker, what would you change? Access to unregulated, I mean, a regulated, legal, worldwide poker site. I think that is it's absurd that we are what uh nine nine years after black friday and we still don't have nationwide poker in the u.s that is ridiculous to me it's absurd and i I had the thought the other day that i haven't had a screen name on (laughs) a pure u.s facing website in nine years like i was on global poker and they like kind of looking around to test all, out all the different platforms on the market. And they uh-huh. were like, choose a screen name. And I was like, whoa, <laughs> <I haven't> seen, <laughs> yeah. it's, been, it's been a while since I've had to even consider a screen name. Um, yeah. Cause obviously Bovada is just all anonymous. I mean, right. But, but th- there's places where you can play lottery online now, but you can't play poker. It's crazy. I mean, Tennessee just legalized sports betting. Statewide, they just legalize. You know, they had the lottery legal forever, but poker. You know, we need to root for. Uh, we need to root for some powerful people to. Hate to say it, but kind of kick the bucket so that uh, the the money stops flowing in to keep to keep online poker from becoming a thing because it is freaking 
it, it, it's absurd yeah. what has happened to this market. Like it just, and I, it, for me, being involved in it for as long as I have, you know, it's the only option for somebody that lives in Atlanta is, uh, you know, I can play in home games. It can sometimes be sketchy, or I can play on an online platform that can be sketchy. Like that's my, those are my two options. And it's just almost criminal that that's the case. Yes. And uh, final question, where can the Chasing Poker Greatness audience find you on the World Wide Web? The easiest way to find me is on Twitter. And my Twitter handle is hiphop101trivia. And, um, yeah, that's the easiest way to find me. Carlos, you're the man. I love this conversation. Thank you so much for your time and energy. And, uh, let's do this again, maybe in a couple of years and catch up on what kind of car you're living in. Yes. (laughs) Yes. Hopefully it'll be, um, something with more, um, fuel efficiency. (laughs) See you, man. Okay, thanks, Brad. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Chasing Poker Greatness. If you have yet to subscribe to the show, please take a second to do so on Apple Podcasts or wherever your favorite place to listen to podcasts may be. For more content from me, Coach Brad, please visit our YouTube channel at youtube.com slash enhance your edge, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>